Well, amen. Good morning, church. How y'all doing? Doing good? Good. Well, I haven't met most of you, so on the count of three, I want all y'all to say, hi, Ryan, and I'm going to introduce myself in a minute. On one, two, three, everybody say, hi. Well, nice to meet you. It's good to see your friendly faces, and it's always an honor to bring God's word. As Pastor Matt mentioned earlier, uh, the Davis family and the Booth family, my wife Tara and my son Silas, we've been friends for many years. We met in seminary, and I remember when we first moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, and it was the first month my wife had not yet moved because she was still working as a nurse back in Kansas, and so she had a couple weeks left, and so I was there by myself getting settled in, and there was an event for the seminary to meet at a local baseball field for some minor league baseball, and so that's where I met Matt and Melanie, and at that point, the kids, Natalie and Noah, they're about this tall, and, and so we were watching this baseball game, and we were st- talking a little bit, getting to know them, and Natalie looked up at me, and not seeing anyone with me, she said, uh, so do you have a girlfriend? And I said, I got a wife. And then her next question was, and it caught me off guard, she said, is she full-time? And I realized in that moment that if I ever get a chance to preach in Mississippi, I better take it, because I don't know what culture differentiates between part-time and full-time wives, but I know they need the gospel. (laughs) Amen? So here we are, fulfilled all these years later. Now, we were here about five years ago preaching at a men's Uh, gathering that y'all had, so some of your faces are familiar, but again, it's an honor to bring God's word to you, and even though many of you don't know me, as I've talked with Matt over the years, and he's told me all the good things happening down here on the coast, and how God has been moving and faithful, I've been praising God and praying with you uh, for many years, and so it's good to meet and see a bunch of you. Well, we're going to continue on in the sermon series that y'all have been in, and I'm going to start it, and you finish it, Sufficient God. Hey, listen, it's on the screen, so it's easy. Now, I, know, I don't know how you guys do it here. I like to talk back a little bit, and so it's okay for you to talk. But we're going to talk about the sufficient God and the sufficient grace. Now, you know, uh, because Pastor Brian was in it last week, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to cover verses 13 through 18 today. And in verses 13 through 18, we're reminded that the Apostle Paul, who shared his life and his suffering with the Corinthian church, where they were as broken as can be, they were as messed up as any church can be, and yet he poured his life into them, and they start questioning his credibility. They start wondering, who are you, and should we listen to you? And there were false teachers and people leading them astray. And so Paul's going to tell us in verses 13 through 18 all about why he does what he does. And so the title for this message today is simply this, Sharing Jesus Even When It Hurts. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, this is for you. Everybody turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Yes, this is... This is for all of us. I saw the incredible things you all have been doing with the fall festival and celebrating outreach and making disciples. And yet, we know that God looks at not just what we're doing, but how we're doing it. He looks at the heart. And so when things get rough and tough, do we continue to persevere? When we don't get the results that we want, do we continue on in the mission of God? The reality is, we live in a culture that is comfortable, that is lazy, that loves to take the path of least resistance. And yet Paul did not. And so he kept sharing Jesus even when it hurt, to the point of eventually his own death. And so we're going to get some insight from him today that's going to help us as we, 2,000 years later, are trying to make disciples with the same heart for the same Lord. And the reality is you and I, even though we like to be comfortable, we do all kinds of things even when it hurts. And we know it's still worth it. 
If you exercise and you push through because you love the idea of fitness or a good body or your health, you know you push through even when it hurts. If you got a job and you love the idea of climbing the ladder, then you put in the hours and you work hard even when it hurts because it's worth it to you. If you're a parent, need I say any more? You go and you parent even when it hurts. You see, at the end of the day, all of us ultimately suffer for what we love the most. Sometimes it's even embarrassing the stuff that we would suffer for. Now, i got a bit of a dilemma, and I need you to help me. Even though we don't know each other very well, I'm, I need you to chime in and help me with this a little bit. We, uh, in the Booth family, we've been trying to figure out when to get together for Thanksgiving. And we couldn't get together on Thanksgiving Day this year. And so we decided, with two older brothers, two younger sisters, and most of them with spouses and kids, that we would get together the Saturday after Thanksgiving at noon. We'd make it work. Now, people are traveling from hours around in northeast Kansas. There's a lot of different schedule conflicts. It's near impossible to get us together. So when we can pin down a time and a date, that's a big deal. I don't know if it's like that for your family, but it's like, listen, this is, this is bigger. Some of you question whether Thanksgiving's even worth it, just trying to get the scheduling down, right? Now, we decided to do it at noon on Saturday after Thanksgiving, and it was all good. But here's the dilemma. I went home and I looked at my schedule, and I realized I've got something going on at one o'clock that day, and it's not going to work. So I texted my wife and I said, oh, I didn't know this was going on. And she said, oh, this is bad. And I, I, I texted my family. I said, can we move Thanksgiving? I said, I'll, I'll go the night before Thanksgiving. I'll drive two hours up there. How about Friday, all day Friday? We'll do in the morning. We'll do night. I could do Saturday night. I will come after church on Sunday. We can do whatever we got to do to move it. So everybody worked their schedules out, said, we'll, we'll do Saturday night. Even though we got nap times messed up, bedtimes messed up, travel issues, we're going we're gonna to rearrange it for you. Now, here's the dilemma. You say, what's the problem? The problem is what I got going on at noon that day is the state championship football game for our local high school. And you say, well, what are you, the coach? No. You got, you got a kid there? No. I've just been with them, and I don't want to miss it. I don't even know if they're going to make it to the state championship. But everything in me is like, I've, I can't miss this game. And my family didn't ask what I had going on at 1 o'clock, but, but they're going to, and it's going to be weird. So here's the dilemma. I, I need you all to vote a little bit for me. Anybody, for some of you, this is going to give me credibility in your eyes. Others, you're like, I don't want to hear what else you have to say because this loses all credibility. But, but listen, how many of y'all, raise your hands, be transparent and honest, how many of you would move Thanksgiving for the state football championship? Anybody? Couple, one, two. All right, we're going to have group therapy after all this, and you are now invited. I needed to know who I needed to invite. That's, yes. Obviously, it's silly. I made my family suffer. I'm suffering my reputation. I'm looking silly in front of you. I'm going to look silly in front of them. We put effort into it. Why? Because we all suffer for what we love. And yet, how quick do we bail on the Great Commission? How quick when people don't receive the good news or receive our blessing the way that we want or expect, do we back away and say, you know what? I ain't doing that anymore. And so when we talk about evangelism and sharing Jesus, what we're talking about is a heart issue. And, and here's what I know. Some of y'all, you've been in church long enough, you know this. There's two ways I could preach this message. One is I could just tell you to go out and do more. How well does that work? It doesn't work too well. 
No, you'll burn yourself out and you'll miss the big picture. Or, like the old quote from a French writer of the 20th century, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, he said, if you want to build a boat, you don't gather men together to drum up and get the wood, and you don't divide the work and give out orders. No, instead, if you want to build a boat, you teach those men to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And so this is a hard issue, but in order for us to do something out there, God's got to do something in here. And so I don't want to just tell you to do more. No, I want to, I want to paint a picture of Jesus that helps you to vast. You, you, you yearn for the vast and endless kingdom of God, and you want everyone to be a part of it. So let's pray, and we'll jump into the scriptures. Father, we come to you trusting that you will do what only you can do in our hearts. And you know every one of us is prone to try to work for your favor, and it doesn't work out very well. And so I pray, God, that we would love you because you first loved us, that we would be blown away by your grace. And Lord, that would make us do crazy things for the kingdom of God. That we would go past the point of comfort, past the point of uncomfortable, and smack dab into the realm of suffering, if that's what you want. Because we don't care about a legacy at the end of this life. We care about who's coming with us to heaven. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work like only you can. So we submit to you, and we trust you, and we give our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's jump on in. I'm going to read you the verses 13 through 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you've got your Bible open. And then we're going to have a few fill-in-the-blanks. Starting in verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that grace extends to more and more people. There we go. As it in, to more and more people that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. All right, let's walk through this. If you got your notes, here's a few fill in the blanks. First one is this, is that we have a belief that compels us. Everybody say it compels us. We have a belief that compels us. So we don't have a belief that leads to laziness. We don't have a belief that leads to, to uh, not doing anything or seeking our own comfort. We got a belief that just tears us up inside. It's a fire in our belly that's not just the Taco Bell from the night before. It is the Holy Spirit of God that's saying, do something for the kingdom of God. Not just for God, but with God and see his power all around our families and our lives and the city that we live in. We got a belief that compels us. We go back to verse 13. It says this, Since we with the same spirit of faith, 
With the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. So the Apostle Paul saying, listen, y'all are cutting my credibility. You, you questioning my authority. But listen, you ever, you ever had a kid who you said, why did you say that? And they said, I don't know. I thought it. And so I said it. It just popped into my mind. There was no filter. Paul's saying, I believed. I believed about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I spoke. I shared it. And so this is actually, verse 13, this is a quote from Psalm 116, verse 10. If you go back to the psalmist, what you'll see is a man who spoke the word of God and suffered great harm and affliction. And Paul's like, listen, I'm telling you, like I'm sticking up for myself here by telling you why I have suffered and sharing the gospel with you so much and and served to make disciples in Corinth, no matter how broken y'all are. And all I can remember is the psalmist 1,000 years earlier saying that he suffered affliction and he said he did it because he believed and so he spoke. You see, when it says the same spirit of faith, we're not just talking about the Holy Spirit. Obviously, for believers in the New Testament, we know that the Holy Spirit is what gives us boldness. But when he says the same spirit of faith, he's talking about the spirit of courage, of zeal. And so he's saying, I've got this boldness I've got this courage. I've got this something in my belly, this fire in my belly that makes me want to share. We've got a belief that compels. And not only that, but it's because we believe in the power of the resurrection. So verse 14, he says this, knowing that he who raised the Lord, Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So he's saying, listen, I, I, I believed and so I spoke. What do I believe in? The resurrecting power of God. That's what I believe in, and it changed my life, church. And so that's why I got to talk. That's why I got to share. That's why I deny myself and my own desires. That's why we do what we do. It's because of the resurrection. Does this, sound, does this remind you of anything, though? Think about someone else in the Old Testament who, who did something because they had a belief in the resurrecting power of God. You remember Genesis chapter 22? Remember Abraham and Isaac? And we see the most awkward camping trip ever in Scripture. Hey, we're going to go up on that mountain and we're going to worship. Okay, let's go, Dad. Yeah, just me and my boy. This will be great. And then they go up there and Isaac is all like, Well, Dad, I found the wood and I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Some of you think you've had awkward conversations with your kids. How about Abraham? He's like, Well, let me just say it this way. God will provide. But what we think when we read that story, at least at first glance, is that his belief was that God was going to bail him out so he wouldn't sacrifice his son. But we read in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament that it was actually Abraham's belief in the resurrecting power of God that, that ultimately his son and he would be resurrected together. Think about that. That's a crazy faith. That he would literally sacrifice his son because he believes in what God can do after death. I mean, how many times do we do stuff because we believe God's power is to bail us out here on earth? Oh, well, I'll do it because I know God will ultimately give me this comfort. And Abraham says, no, I'm going to sacrifice my son because I believe that he could raise him from the dead. Man. That makes you go all out to the ends of the earth, to the end of this life. 
That's a faith that compels. You see, when he says, back to that psalmist in verse 13, I believed and so I spoke. I believed and so I spoke. There's no, there's no filter for evangelism there. It's just I believed and so I spoke. There, there's no excuse filter there either. How many times? Well, I believed, and then, you know, I thought about it, and I just didn't, you know, my reputation, and I haven't known them long enough, and so I didn't want to say something, and and so I just thought about speaking, but I don't know. No, it doesn't say that. Well, I believed, and then, listen, I just think there's some people who, who, they're better at this than me, and and so I'm going to see if they'll speak. No, it doesn't say that. There's no evangelism filter, but there's an excuse filter. You got to filter out the excuses. Some of you would argue when it comes to sharing Jesus because you you would say, well, I'm somehow exempt from this. But if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. And the reality is this isn't just for the pastors or the spiritual elite. It doesn't work that way. Some of you, you got excuses because you you say, well, here's the thing. I, I tried to reach out to them. I tried to serve them. I tried to love them. They might even be in my own family. They might even be sitting next to me today. But they just don't appreciate it when I bless them. They don't appreciate the things I do. Well, that shouldn't stop you. Raise your hand if you got kids. See, you're good at doing things without being appreciated. <laughs> you're already good at it. You don't stop being a parent, right? Some of you say, well, well it's it just, I don't have the gift of, of evangelism or the gift of sharing Jesus. Yeah, but you got the command. So praise God if there's a gift and you got a little extra oomph when you share Jesus. But even if you ain't got that extra oomph, you still got to get off your you-know-what and do it. Because you got the command even if you don't got the gift. And if you got the Holy Spirit, you got all you need. So if you got the message and you got the Spirit, then the only thing stopping us is us. Here's the, here's the reality. My, some of us, we even complain, it's not our, it's, I ain't got the personality for it. I'm not an extrovert. Well, I'm an introvert too. I'm the biggest introvert I know. Even being here, even looking at you makes me tired. And yet, I'm going to share Jesus because this is something we're all commanded to do. And I got a belief that compels me. I want to do this. I want to be here. I want to do this. I got my son, Silas, he, he's in the third grade. And he's a shy boy, but he's been sharing Jesus with a bunch of people at school. And even his teacher, he said, yeah, we're in the line for recess. And I asked my, my teacher if he follows Jesus. And he was telling me all about this. And I said, dude, you got a boldness. You understand most adults, they, they don't even talk about Jesus at all, much less at school in front of people. And he said, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just in my blood. And I said, it's in your blood, but it ain't because your daddy or your mama's blood. That's the blood of Jesus that makes someone do that. Several years ago, when, when he was uh, five or six years old, my wife and I, we went to um, Grand Tetons up north. You ever been that far up north? We went to Grand Teton National Park, and we had been doing a bunch of hiking. We loved to get outside. We loved to do some hiking. And one day, it was about noon. And we went to a hiking trail that had tons of people. And so we thought, okay, we know that there's animals, there's things in the area that are a little bit scary. you got to be prepared mentally, physically. But it's the middle of the day, and there's a ton of people on this trail. We'll be all right. Couldn't even hardly find a parking spot. So we go two or three miles up this trail to this lake. 
And as we're sitting around this lake, we realize people are all around this thing. And so we want a little bit of privacy. So we go on this little peninsula out there where there was just one trail out there and then the water wrapped around. And so we sat there for 30 minutes, had lunch, had a little picnic. It was wonderful. Man, looking at the mountains, it was beautiful. It was as peaceful as you can imagine. And then I said, all right, time to go. And right as I said that, I heard some people yelling, bear, bear, bear. And I realized they were screaming about a bear. And we turned around to see this massive mama grizzly bear with a cub walking straight down the path at us. And you always hear about bears, and you're always like, okay, yeah, they're a little skittish sometimes around humans. They're going to run off. This mama had more confidence than anyone I've ever seen. Like, she just took up the trail. It was incredibly frightening. And so I grabbed my son, and he said, I want to see Dad. And right as I grabbed him, he trips and he falls on his face. That's what kids always do, right? I said, listen, you're like a little chicken nugget to that bear. Don't do that. So, so I've got him, and I've got Tara, and I say, just stay together. We just got to stay together. Like, they rarely attack when there's just, just a few of us together. Like, like I, well, everything I ever learned on the Discovery Channel, I'm trying to remember it, right, in that moment. And I realized there's no way off of this little peninsula. There's one trail in, one trail out, and the bear's on it. And as the bear's walking straight towards us, we just freeze. And then at the last minute, the bear decides to go off path. And as we walked by... We were scared to death. And so then we had two or three miles to go back, and we wanted to get back to our car as fast as possible. But here's what happened. Dozens and even hundreds of people were headed up to the hiking trail. And my son, who was five years old, had to stop every single person and say, there's a bear up there, there's a bear up there. And to our surprise and amazement, they all wanted to continue. But it was painstakingly slow getting back to the car because he had to stop and tell everybody. You see the spiritual connection? When you come in contact with someone or something that could and maybe even should consume you, but by the grace of God does not, it makes you want to tell people. And when we have a God who in his justice He sees us in our sin and knows we deserve wrath. And because Jesus took that wrath on the cross of God and we see his great grace and his love for us, it should do something in us that changes us forever. That doesn't just make us be be sitting on a pew waiting for heaven, but to get out there and tell everybody we can. And to our amazement, many of them want to know about this God who can consume but doesn't. You tell them about that grace, and they want it. It doesn't make sense, but all of humanity is drawn to a God who can consume, but by his grace shows his love and compassion and took a different path. Praise God, he took a different path. Because we were headed straight on to destruction. And when you meditate on this and think on this and process through this, just like that second song we sang, it gives you a belief that compels you. Everybody say compels. Here's what I want you to do this week. I'm going to give you handles, each one of these points. And there's three points because I'm Southern Baptist. That's how that works. Yeah, it wasn't as funny to you as it is to me. But anyway, first thing I want you to do this week, one person that maybe you've given up hope on, Maybe you stopped reaching out to. Maybe you're insecure. 
I want you to have a conversation about the Lord. It could be in your family, it could be in your neighborhood, it could be at work, but you just keep putting it off. And God's put them on your heart even right now. I, I want you to be intentional and say, let's just talk. You don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to know it all, but one person this week, you could just tell them even what you heard this morning. But just have a conversation. See where they stand with God and share the Lord with them. All right, moving on. Second thing we see is the reason why we share Jesus even when it hurts is because we do it for their good and God's glory. Everybody say God's glory. We do it for their good and God's glory. So this is a completely selfless thing to share Jesus even when it hurts. That's what makes it hard. Verse 15 says this, for it is all, everybody say all, it is all, all the suffering, all the pain, everything. It is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So two things we see. Your sake, that word in the Greek, sake, literally means your benefit, your blessing. It is all for your blessing. Remember, the Corinthian church was as messed up as anybody that you're going to know, including yourself. They had marriage issues, they had drunkenness issues, they had infidelity, they had all kinds of immorality issues. And Paul's saying, I did everything I've done for you, I did it for you. I had nothing to gain. But I didn't just do it for you, I did it for God's glory. The word glory, it it means the splendor of God, the beauty of God. Like seeing your spouse if you're a man, you got your wife, and they're beautiful, and you realize you just you do a whole bunch of things in life just because you're amazed at the beauty. And we, as the servants of Christ, we serve others because we want everyone on earth to see the glory of God. We want the glory of God to fill the ends of the earth, that they would see him and be blown away and be drawn to him to salvation. And so, Paul is selfless. Now, he's a human like us, but motives matter. Everybody say, motives matter. Your motives, they're going to change things. And the reality is, your motivation is directly tied to your perseverance. Listen, here's a trustworthy saying. If you get nothing else out of this, remember this. Worldly motivations equal wimpy missionaries. Worldly motivations lead to wimpy missionaries. Because, listen, if you're doing what we do to serve our community, when you do block parties, when you talk with people, when you reach out to people, when you love people, if you're doing it for God's purpose, God's glory, then you're going to go and do it on God's terms. Which means you ain't going to stop when you face hardship. But when you have man-made motivations, then when you encounter man-made problems, you're going to have man-made excuses why you should bail. And you got to be careful because you'll give up on the mission of God sometimes without even realizing it. One of the best questions you can ask yourself, and this will dictate the rest of your life, and it's hard to answer, but ask yourself this question. Do I love the glory of God more than I love life itself? Because if the answer, and that's such a hard question to ask and answer, 
because we're all prone to lie even to ourselves. We want to love the glory of God more than we love our own lives, but like we're selfish. We know our sin nature. But, but if you, listen, church, <laughs> this, is such a, this is such a small statement, but this is such a big deal because if you love life more than the glory of God, when you experience term, turbulence of any kind, you're going you're gonna to blame God. You're going to stop with God. You're going to turn from God. You're going to complain about God. You're not going to understand. But there are things that he does on earth for his glory and wants us to do for his glory that we get nothing back in return. We deny ourselves. And that's hard. But how many times have you complained or grumbled about God because he didn't work things out the way you wanted and yet he could still be glorified? If we love his glory, we'd keep on persevering. We'd keep on going. And this question, some of you are like, this ain't that great of a question. It's a great question. And it will be tested over and over and over in your life every time you have hardship. My wife and I, we've been married about 14 years now. We've had fertility issues the entirety of our marriage. Never could figure it out. Didn't know why. But we planted a church in Utah years ago, and we thought if there's any place we're going to get pregnant, it's probably Utah. And by the grace of God, we did. But we had one son, one and only son. We prayed for him for years and years and years, and then we got him, and we haven't been able to have kids since. Now, we've done foster care or other stuff, but, but we, we don't have any other biological kids. A couple years ago, we were at my family's house in eastern Kansas, and there's an area called the Flint Hills. It's a beautiful area. And my brother-in-law and my sister, they live on a ranch down there. And they're down in this ravine. There's a little creek that goes by. It's just, it's just beautiful. And so one night we were there. All of the family was together. This was kind of an overnight summer trip that we try to do once a year. And so we were hanging out until about 10 o'clock at night. And we we're in the house. And of course it's pitch black outside, but we all needed to leave for the night. And so we're walking out to our cars. And as we're walking out, my son, who at this point is five years old, He's hanging on to my hand, and he, he's just walking out with me like this, and he's just jibber-jabbering, you know how they do. They're just talking nonstop, incessantly about whatever is on their mind. And then immediately he stopped, and he shrieked, and he said, Ow! 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 And he jumped into my arms in the pitch black. And he said, Dad, something's biting me! And I was like, I just couldn't understand. And so I stopped, and as he jumped in my arms, I saw in the moonlight... Something slither across my foot. And I saw the pattern on the back shining off the light of the moon. And I yelled to Tara, I said, Sai got bit by a snake. And so the car was right there. And so I jumped in the car. I was, I, I, at first, I was looking around for the snake. I handed Silas off to, to mom, and she went in the house, and she was looking. And so I'm looking for the snake because I want to know what kind of snake is this. But there's water around, so I'm figuring it's a black snake or whatever. And so I'm looking, 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 and I can't find it. And there's tall grass everywhere, so I said the only place it might be uh, that we haven't checked is under the car. So I back up the car, and in the headlights I can see my brother-in-law, who's the rancher. He had his phone, he had a flashlight, and he's looking down, and I could just see on his face. And I thought, no, no, no. And he said, it's a copperhead. Now we're 30 miles from civilization. 10 miles down a dirt road, no cell reception. I don't... I don't exactly even know where to go. 
But listen, he's five years old and 30 pounds. Some of y'all got dogs bigger than that. And so I'm, I'm going in and grabbing him, and Mama said, we got to go immediately. we got to get going. And I was driving down the road. It was like Dukes of Hazard in Kansas. I was just going as fast as I could to get to that hospital. And he's in the back, and he doesn't know that this is a poisonous snake. And he just says, I feel so weak. And we could see he's fading fast. And I'm just praying out loud, God, please heal him. Please, I don't know what hospital we're going to go to. I chances of them having antivenom is slim to none. And so we're driving down the road. Eventually we get reception. We call the hospital. They have some uh, rural uh, fire folks come and meet us in a little tiny town. And I'm hoping, I'm praying. I'm like, maybe this is a dry bite. Sometimes out of defense they just pop, right? And, and I'm just thinking, okay, maybe, maybe, God, maybe this is a dry bite. And so we pick them up out of the car. We're going in the ambulance. As I see the light of the ambulance in the back, I look and I don't see the two marks. I see four. And I realized he was bit twice. Pop, pop. And there's no doubt he's got venom. So mom stays with him in the ambulance, and they're driving as fast as they could. And I'm by myself in my car driving, wondering, did I just see my boy for the last time? The boy that we prayed for over and over and over, that we desired and struggled and asked ourselves late night on a regular basis, is this for our glory or is this for God's glory? And so for Silas's good, we are going as fast as we can to the hospital but the question remained, for God's glory, what's going to happen? And so I just prayed in that moment. Because listen, it's not lost on me that if you're going to preach, stuff like this happens. It happens to anybody, but it tends to happen to those who can praise God about it for the rest of their lives from a pulpit. And I knew that. And something in me said, oh God, please know, is this the way this is going to end? Then I just prayed, God, if you will be glorified, do whatever you want. I pray that you heal him for your glory. But if it's not your will to heal him, I pray that you would be glorified. And I will follow you no matter what happens tonight. A little hospital happened to have antivenom. Four vials later, in the bottom half of his body that had swollen up, started to stop and decrease. A day later, he walked out. What if he didn't? What if I lost everything? Would I love the glory of God more than life itself? And if I'm going to ask that about my son, i got to ask that about the Great Commission. Do I love our neighbors more than life itself? Am I willing to do things for their good and God's glory that I got nothing in return? I get nothing out of this. By the way, just for fun, do you know what antivenom is made of? The blood of horses and the blood of lambs. And so I don't know if you know or not, but the poison that is sin that infects us all has a cure, and the antivenom is the blood of the lamb. Someone say Amen. That's just a little fun fact that the irony is not lost on me. That the blood of the lamb helped my boy that night and saved souls as well. So here's what I want you to do. Earlier I said one person this week I want you to share the gospel with. Here, here. This week I want you to think about and pray about one thing that you can do for somebody that's completely selfless. It's for their good and God's glory. And it's uncomfortable for you. 
It might be buying someone a meal. It might be just going and talking with someone when you're not used to talking to someone. I don't know. It could be big or small, but let the Lord push you out of your comfort zone. Because we need handlebars to take baby steps. And for some of us, that's a big step. But one selfless act. So one person you want to talk to about the Lord and one selfless act that's for their good and God's glory. I'm loading you up with homework. You're getting your money's worth. I want to give you everything. Last but not least, we see this. The bigger picture. Everybody say the bigger picture. So if you're going to suffer by sharing the Lord, you do it with the bigger picture in mind. That's what the Apostle Paul did. It says in verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, or for the things that are seen, yeah, excuse me, are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's go back. Let's look at this and study it. So we do not lose heart. That, that phrase, lose heart in the Greek, it literally means that, that we don't give up on the goal. That we don't give up on the goal. So Paul's saying, listen, things have happened, but we don't give up on whatever God has called us to. We don't lose heart. And then he says this, just like last week we talked about paradoxes, truths that, that seem to be two, two lanes of the highway moving in the, same, or in the opposite direction, but they're still on the same highway. Truths that seem to contradict each other, but they don't. And so there's six contrasts. So, so he says this. He says the outer self versus the inner self. So your body, it's what? It is wasting away versus interior. You can be renewed. So even in the hardest of times, you can have cancer, you can have health issues, you can be persecuted, you can have whatever happened to you, and yet inside, the Lord could be doing such a work that makes you thrive. Even when out here, you're just trying to survive. It's being renewed. Then it goes on. Four more contrasts. This light. So this light versus the weightiness. This momentary versus the eternal. This affliction versus glory. And so what are we going to do? How are we going to make sure we don't lose heart? You focus your eyes on the things, not that are seen, but the things that are unseen. And so this isn't just a reference. A lot of times you read this face value and you think, oh, this is a reference to like God's working in people's hearts behind the scenes. Absolutely true. You see that in other scripture. But here it's talking about the resurrection. It's talking about the future. It's talking about the fact that one day it's all going to make sense. There's a work down the road that's going to happen that we're trusting in right now to help us not lose heart. So that's a game changer. You see, Paul's broken body was making them question God's invisible power. They saw how broken this dude is, how Paul wasn't great at speaking, how he, he, he was physically afflicted in many ways. He had suffered the way. Like sometimes, let's be honest, if you look at someone with hardship, there's a little bit of judgment in your heart that says, man, if you're getting smashed by the waves of life this bad, you must be doing something wrong. You're not right with God. And in our sin, sometimes that's true. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes our hardships are the result of a broken world, groaning out for the Lord. And then sometimes the rain falls on the just and unjust alike. Sometimes 
the brokenness you experience in life for disciple-making or not is not something to make us question God's invisible power. And yet, some of us today would argue with me when you read this because you're like, listen, you're here telling us that we're supposed to reach out and share Jesus even when it hurts. The reality is I got so much hurt and pain in my life right now, the last thing I can think about is someone else. Maybe you feel bad for even thinking about yourself right now. But the Lord's working and he's stirring. And for some of us, we would argue that the pain in my life right now, your health issues, your marriage issues, your, your kids, and whatever issues you got, whatever you got going on, some of you would say, well, here's what it feels like to me. It feels like that the pain in my life is proof that God's not present. Oh, some of us need to go back to Sunday school. Don't we remember the fiery furnace or the lion's den? You see, pain, pain is not proof that God's not present. The pain is an opportunity for God's presence to show the invisible power of God. This is an opportunity that God's power is going to have the final say. And so you got to believe that, you got to trust that in your own life. Isaiah 53, I just want to read it for you. It's a reminder that broken bodies do not equal broken plans in the kingdom of God. Verses 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one with whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed." Oh, the good news of Jesus is a reminder, the cross is a reminder that a broken body can actually be part of the plan to glorify God for our good and his glory. Praise God. And if his own son is going to face that, how much more are we? If the perfect son of God faces death for the glory of God and for the good of mankind, how much more will broken people trying to follow him experience the same hardships. And yet, how quick do we bail when we have hardships? But you gotta, you got to let the Spirit challenge you. you got to see the bigger picture. As we wrap up, I want to share with you, this past summer, there's another nature story. Some of you are like, I don't want to go out in nature with you because they're all bad. <laughs> this past summer, we had a couple foster kids on Kodiak Island, Alaska, they live there now, and so we went to go visit them, and we had a, about half the time we were going to spend with them, half the time we were going to drive through the interior of Alaska. It was a li- trip of a lifetime. We were excited for it, paid for it a year in advance. We were so thankful for the opportunity. And we were driving one day, six hours between cities out in the middle of nowhere, but I knew there was this ice cave. There was this glacier that had a river going through it. That there was this ice cave that, that we could stop and check out. It was, there was no parking lot. You just had to know via research that you stop at mile marker 217.3. And so in the rain and the bad weather, we pulled over on the side of the road, and we were just supposed to go a mile in that direction, and you'll find it. And there was a couple people coming from there, so I realized, okay, this is not just us. We're not crazy. 
but well, not be crazy, but we, we decided to go. As we went, we saw this ice cave. I want to show you a picture here. This is my boy Silas standing in front of it. So that big old chunk of ice, that's a glacier. It's got trees growing on top. It's got mud. It's got rock. It's got all kinds of stuff. And we knew that the beauty was inside the cave, but, but you probably should not be going in the cave because this thing can collapse at any time. This glacier is moving and melting. And so we go just a, a few feet in front of where he's standing right now. And we kind of look there, and Silas got my arm, and he's tugging me like a dog on a leash. And he says, Dad, let's go in, let's go in. I said, no, buddy, we're not going in. He said, Dad, I was born for this. <laughs> so you're about to die for this. If you go in, you better not, we're not going. He said, Dad, I was born for this. In that moment, this little two-inch rock hits my shoulder. Now, we were standing about in line with where he is now. And so we thought we were far away from the edges. What we didn't understand is that on the top of that glacier, about 40 feet up, there's a slant this way. And trees and rock and debris can fall, boom, 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 and fall way out from where that edge is. And so when I had that rock hit me, I realized we were in a danger zone and we weren't savvy enough to realize it. And so I said, oh, let's go. And in a moment, in a split second, some debris starts falling down. And a rock about the size of a watermelon glazes off my wife's arm. But it was terrifying as all this starts coming down. And we start running and she's screaming and I could tell she got hit. But the fact that she was running made me feel okay. And we knew, like, we, we knew this was bad. Like, this was a life and death situation. So we gathered our bearings and her uh, watch had fallen down. It snapped off and fallen on the ground. And she's just kind of holding her arm like this. I was like, you okay? I'm trying to make sure everything's all right. And she said, yes, yes, something's, something's bad. Something's, like, we're not talking, like, when we say a watermelon-sized rock, well, you, take a, you take a little boulder 40 feet up in the air, and you launch it at somebody, and just glazing the arm is going to cause issues. It snapped her arm. Now, listen, we're a mile away from our vehicle, and then three hours to civilization. No cell reception. Some of you are like, you need to hang out where there's cell reception because you, go, you don't got a good track record. I know. We're trying to learn. And so she's dangling her arm, knowing this thing is snapped. And she's dangling this thing. We walk back to the car. It starts raining again, and we crossed rivers. And so we ended up getting lost. We had to come back, and there's no one out there. And we're just thankful to be alive. But we go on, and we get to the car. we got three hours to talk about what's going on. And she's just holding her arm like this. Get to a little tiny clinic. It's after hours on a Friday night. They call someone in for an x-ray. They're like, well, let's just take a few x-rays. They took one, and they said, you need to go to a doctor. So they send us three more hours. We'd already driven six for the day. We've got to go over a mountain three hours. They set the arm. It doesn't matter because it pops right back out. They say, you need surgery. We know we, we got issues. We drive another three hours through the night back to our Airbnb. Twelve hours of driving that day. And you say, what'd you do? Did you have surgery? No. We were on day four or five of a two and a half week trip. And my wife knew it was already paid for. And so she got some ibuprofen. And for two weeks, she walked around with her arm snapped. I don't know how you raise them up in Mississippi, but Kansas girls are tough. we got home, she put a six-inch rod through her arm, and that was three months ago, and she's just now getting it back to normal. She suffered 
for the next two weeks in all that pain. We went hiking 15 more miles, thousands of feet of elevation gain. She just, she just, she just walked like this. Took some ibuprofen. What makes you suffer like that? She knew the price was already paid. She saw the bigger picture, and she said, no, I don't want to freak out in the moment because the reality is this is a trip of a lifetime, and I can get what I need when we get back home to Kansas. And so she toughed it out. How many times? How many times is the Lord telling you, if you saw the bigger picture, you wouldn't freak out so much? You wouldn't bail on what I'm doing? Listen, as we close up, we got a saying back home. We say, live sent. Because God sends us. But I want, I, want, I want you to learn another one. I want you to say, live spent. Everybody on the count of three say, live spent. One, two, three. Live spent. Here's what I want to do as we close out and have a bit of an altar call. I want you to pray knowing that you got someone to reach out to this week. you got a good deed that you're going to do for the glory of God and the good of man. But I want you to pray that you would live with a mindset that is living spent. That you exhaust yourself, not just for God, but with God. And you suffer just like Jesus for the sake of his kingdom. Because you got a belief that compels you. You want to do it for their good and God's glory. And you know there is a bigger picture. There is a weight of glory that one day you will experience when you see the king of kings face to face. And you will know that it was all worth it. Because we all suffer for what we love most. Let's love the Lord most. Let's live spent. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thankful that you are a God who loves us. That your son sacrificed in our place for our sin.